interesting article that I didn't think would actually ever happen. But the WHO team visits Wuhan virus lab at center of speculation. And if you don't know who WHO is, it's the World Health Organization. Now, again, I did not think that this was something that was actually going to happen. Like this is a pretty shocking moment, and will they find something? I don't know. It'd be pretty interesting to see uh, what's going to go on. So let's read the story. So, World Health Organization investigators on Wednesday visited a research center in the Chinese city, with one member saying they'd intended to meet key staff and press them on critical issues. The WHO team's visit to the Wuhan Institute of Virology was a highlight of their mission to gather data and search for clues as to where the virus originated and how it spread. We're looking forward to meeting with all the key people here and asking all the important questions that need to be asked, zoologist and team member Peter Dazak said, according to footage run by Japanese broadcaster TBS. So reporters followed the team to the high-security facility, but as with past visits, there was little direct access to team members, who have given scant details of their discussions and visits thus far. Uniformed in plain clothes, security guards stood watch along the facility's gated front entrance, but there is no sign of the protective suits team members had donned Tuesday during a visit to an animal disease research center. It wasn't clear what protective gear was worn inside the institute, and so the team left after around three hours without speaking to waiting journalists. And at a daily briefing, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin said the experts also held talks Wednesday with experts from Huizhang Agricultural University. Now, also, before we continue, I could kinda. What we could kind of like probably say that might happen and again. This is before we even finish the story. They're probably going to say something along the lines of basically not putting any blame onto China, right? Which should be seen as a pretty big issue, right? Because this most likely, most certainly came from China, right? And whether or not it came from, you know, the open markets, you know, with all the different types of animals being, you know, sold and gutted and all that kind of stuff, or if it was leaked outside of a lab accidentally or on purpose, you know, will be kind of interesting to see if they're ever actually going to uh, release that information. They might try to say things that oh it might be the like they might try to say the origins may be too complicated to really get a full you know understanding of what is actually going on. This is basically kind of like higher than our pay grade kind of talk. You know we're basically saying like like kind of like admitting it without really admitting it that this was the cause. You know basically you know how like all those like uh pro bodybuilders basically kind of admit that they do gear without really admitting that they do gear kind of situation just so that they don't necessarily you know go on like go on blast for basically using gear right this is basically how i'm going to view what's probably going to happen okay 
So it should be noted that virus traceability is a complex scientific issue, and we need to provide sufficient space for experts to conduct scientific research. Wang said, "China will continue to cooperate with WHO in an open, transparent, and responsible manner." <coughs> joke, and make its contribution to better prevent future risk and protect the lives and health of people in all countries. Even though you know they boarded up and locked people inside their homes, you know. You know that's something. So, following two weeks in quarantine, the WHO team that includes experts in veterinary medicine, virology, food safety, and epidemiology from ten nations has, over the past six days, visited hospitals, research institutes, and a traditional wet market linked to many of the first cases. Their visit followed months of negotiations as China seeks to retain tight control over information about the outbreak. And the investigation into its origins, in what some have seen as an attempt to avoid blame for any missteps in its early response. One of China's top virus research labs, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, built an archive of genetic information about bat coronaviruses after the 2003 outbreak of severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS. That has led to unproven allegations that it may have a link to the original outbreak of COVID-19 in Wuhan in late 2019. Now again, it may not be proven, but it is highly speculated that this is the case. Now, also, I believe this is also the exact same institute of virology in Wuhan that Dr. Fossey has basically funneled millions of dollars into, right? Basically, having a direct connection to this sort of stuff, where they were researching how to basically do like gain of function studies on different viruses, right? So, you know, do your own research on that as well if you're pretty interested in that stuff. But when you start to read things about that and you start to see kind of like weird connections like that, you're like, whoa, 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 what is going on here, right? And also. Not to mention Fossey, but、uh, the fact that in two different situations he's like, "Oh, you should definitely wear double mask." And then after that, like a week after that, he ends up saying, "Oh, yeah, there's no like verified studies that actually prove that wearing two masks will actually prevent COVID." Right now, that's not word for word, but that is basically what he said. So that's pretty interesting. So China has strongly denied that possibility and has promoted also unproven theories that the virus may have originated elsewhere or even been brought into the country from overseas with imports of frozen seafood tainted with the virus. A notion roundly rejected by international scientists and agencies. Let's also mention that China. Early on, try to blame the U.S. for COVID, right? They quite literally try to spread this really weird propaganda that it was actually the United States of America that caused COVID. So the institute's deputy director is Shi Zhengli, a virologist who worked with. Dazak to track down the origins of SARS that originated in China and led to the 2003 outbreak. She has published widely in academic journal journalists and worked to debunk theories espoused by the former Trump administration and other American officials that the virus is either a bioweapon or a lab leak from the institute. 
Confirmation of the origins of the virus is likely to take years, which should not really be the case. It should not take years to find out the source of this. So pinning down an outbreak's animal reservoir typically requires exhaustive research, including taking animal samples, genetic analysis, and epidemiological studies. One possibility is that a wildlife poacher might have passed the virus to traders who carried it to Wuhan, which I don't think actually happened. The first clusters of COVID-19 were detected in Wuhan in late 2019, eventually prompting the government to put the city of 11 million under a strict 76-day lockdown. China has since reported more than 89,000 cases and 4,600 deaths, with new cases largely concentrated in its northeast in local lockdowns and travel restrictions being imposed to contain the outbreaks. New cases of local transmission continue to fall with just 15 reported on Wednesday as Chinese heat government calls not to travel for the Lunar New Year holiday later this month. Now, here's another thing that you really also got to think about, too, right? Because think about what COVID actually affects, right? It basically affects your, mainly, your respiratory system, right? Now, you also have to understand that China's air uh, pollution is one of the worst in the world, right? So to see this little amount of deaths with these little amount of cases, I highly, highly doubt that they are actually being truthful with their case, you know, amount release, right? Because you got to think about it. They have one of the worst air pollutions in the world, so bad, which by the way, if you clicked on the thumbnail of this video, right, you can literally see how bad the air quality actually is in China, right? Like It's so bad with their air quality that they actually use like green screens to take photos for travelers, right? Or they use like, like this weird little backdrop as like a fake skyline of China, right? Or technically Hong Kong, right? So <laughs> you got to really understand like there should be way more people falling ill and, you know, passing away due to this virus just from the poor air quality, right? Now, this can also kind of like explain why California is kind of doing so bad because California has pretty poor air quality as well. So new cases of local transmission continue to fall with just 15 reported on Wednesday as Chinese government calls not to travel for the Lunar New Year holiday later this month. Yeah, again, that's too little. I, I can't believe this, right? Like, because you got to think about it, and that's a husky whining. You got to think about how dishonest the country of China actually is, right? That's the problem. And that's pretty much it for this story. Feel free to give your thoughts. But, I mean, this is so crazy. I didn't think that this was actually going to happen. But then you also got to understand that whatever information comes from this, you're not really going to get a straightforward answer because this is from who, right? This is from the World Health Organization, which is also heavily funded, I believe, by China. Right, and also I think Bill Gates, but again, mainly China. So you got to think that there is, you know, kind of a, a shady situation going down there, right? Because I mean, you're going to be investigated by basically an organization that you donated 
millions and millions of dollars, you know? Like, eh, this seems a bit odd, right? At least to me. Top growth stocks to buy right now from The Motley Fool. So investors should always be mindful of the market environment, perhaps now more than ever. Despite sweeping political changes in Washington, COVID-19 continues to keep investors guessing as to what lies ahead for the broader U.S. economy. Still, some companies are going to grow regardless of the political and or economic backdrop. Their stocks typically make better long-term buys for investors who can stomach a little volatility. So among the top growth prospects you should consider right now are these three, Square, NVIDIA, and Insight. I-N-C-Y-T-E, right? So here's why each name is pushing through the current economic headwinds. So number one, Square is in the right place at the right time. You may know it as the company that sells devices that turn smartphones and tablets into credit card swipers. But Square is much more than that. E-commerce, lending, and business management tools for businesses ranging from retailers to service providers to restaurants are actually the biggest part of the company's current repertoire. It matters through the first three quarters of 2020, its non-Bitcoin-based revenue is up 15% year-over-year. As small businesses clamor for contactless payment options, meanwhile, with or without the explosion of Square's Bitcoin business, gross profits are up on the order of 40% year-over-year through 2020's fiscal third quarter. And as the pandemic abates and businesses get back to doing business, demand for Square services may ramp up rather than cool off. Analysts are modeling revenue growth of 39% of the year underway, which should drive per share earnings up more than 50%. Then there's the clincher, Square's Cash App. This simple app allows users to make peer-to-peer money transfers in a way that rivals PayPal's flagship platform as well as PayPal's Venmo, although the tool is much more. It also boasts checking account-like features like direct deposit, links to a debit card, and even facilitates stock trading and the conversion of Bitcoin into dollars and vice versa. Although it only has about half the number of users Venmo currently does given its trajectory, RBC capitalist analyst Daniel Perlin says he believes Square's Cash App will be a bigger sales and profit engine than Venmo by 2020. I agree, right? Because if you actually have any conversations with anyone, right, they are more likely going to be, like, if they're ever actually asking for money or if they, like, need something or they want to talk about something. Or you can even see this on, like, just social media, right? It's like, hey, want to help me? Give me some cash app or cash at me. And it's, like, it's become, like, a cultural thing. I think I've seen like videos on youtube or things like that where people was like oh feel free to cash at me right oh i think there's also uh it's it's more cultural i should say than gofundme right i think that's the way to really put it because basically it's like for people for some reason think that if they just say cash at me they're going to get money right but it's a cultural thing and there's a lot of people saying cash at me Right, so I think it's going to be actually a pretty big thing. And how much is Square two two seven nine four? Honestly, I don't think that's a bad price for Square. I could see it getting higher. I don't see it like doubling or anything, but I could definitely see Square actually increasing a decent amount, right? Because you got to understand, right? Because Square is also combined with Cash App, which also is combined with 
Twitter, right? And Twitter and Cash App are both involved in the cultural lifestyle of basically everyone, which is uh, pretty crazy, right? So it's a pretty interesting option. Now, the added capability to trade stocks became even more significant with the GameStop short-selling debacle, right? Which I think is actually pretty cool, the whole situation around that. That prompted stock investment platform Robinhood to be a temporarily limit trading, although it's not really temporarily. I mean, they definitely limited their trading, which is pretty crazy. So uh, several analysts now say they expect significant numbers of Robinhood's customers to react to the action by finding an alternative stock trading service. I agree. Mizuho estimates that nearly 40% of the Robinhood clients who are now closing their accounts would defect to Square. Now, I could see them going to Square, but more likely, they're probably going to go to Webull or Wealthfront or M1 Finance. Basically, every other app stock platform that is similar to Robinhood in the sense that a lot of influencers talk about it so number two think for the long term with nvidia anyone following nvidia knows that most only reported quarterly numbers were strong but marred by a management warning cfo colette crest said during november's conference call we expect data center revenue to be down slightly for the current quarter ending in january versus quarter three the caution through cold water on one of nvidia's most compelling growth prospects and enthusiasm was further cooled by the expected decline in the technology company's original equipment manufacturing OEM business in the fourth quarter. The stock had already been spinning its wheels for more than two months before that earnings release. But with little for would-be buyers to latch onto, shares of NVIDIA have continued to move sideways. Largely lost in the political and pandemic noise circulation circulating since that quarterly report, however, is the temporary nature of Chris concern. Gaming and data centers, NVIDIA's two biggest businesses accounting for about 90% of its top line, are still growing markets. Mordor Intelligence believes the gaming graphics card market is growing to grow at an annualized clip of 14%, while worldwide data center accelerator spending should improve at an average annual growth pace of more than 40% through 2026. And we're not even factoring in the fact that NVIDIA is, I believe, the chosen graphic well basically the chosen company right that uh crypto miners actually decide to use to mine crypto to mine bitcoin to mine eth to mine all the other different cryptos like zcash and all that like nvidia is the reason why the reason why nvidia has always steadily grown is because the crypto Influence has steadily grown as well, right? Now, of course, gaming has increased dramatically. But in conjunction with that, what even strengthens it even more is that people are also using it to make money by mining crypto. Data center accelerators are GPU-based computer banks capable of handling millions of numerical computation per second. They're particularly well-suited for artificial intelligence applications, which require lots of relatively simple number crunching. To this end, Mordor estimates the enterprise AI market itself is growing at an average analyzed pace of more than 50% and should do so through 2026. 
and this late this year's consensus revenue growth estimate of more than 20% makes sense, as does the projected 20% profit growth. Number three, Insight has a multifaceted portfolio. All right. So finally, at Insight, to your list of prospective growth stocks to buy sooner rather than later. Insight is the biopharma name behind myelofibrosis, Chakafi lymphoma treatment, Manjuvi, and leukemia eclusig. None of them are showstoppers like Merck's Keytruda or AbbVie's Humira. But for a relatively small $20 billion outfit like Insight, these lesser-known drugs still make a big impact, and the company is going to report sales of around $2 billion for Jocafi when it releases its fourth-quarter results a few days from now. And while rheumatoid arthritis therapy, Illuminant, is still a small-time franchise, its third-quarter year-over-year sales growth at 32% makes it an encouraging prospect. The company's overall year-to-date sales growth of 19% also makes it clear Insight isn't going to be stimmied by the pandemic. The analyst community is calling for a slight slowdown in sales growth this year, but 12% top-line growth is still nothing to be ashamed of, particularly given that the company is operationally profitable. Shares are trading at an affordable 25 times this year's per-share earnings estimate of $3.49, What's arguably not being fully priced in, however, is the potential of the existing portfolio and pipeline. Jacofi already approved for some user uh, from yeah, for some uses host promise for certain graft versus host disease patients. The same drug is now also being tested as part of a combination therapy with Selenko's T cell treatment of myelofibrosis. In the meantime, insights retifenlim. I can't even pronounce these things. I'm going to say Reti Fan Lemab has been granted a priority review by the Food and Drug Administration as a therapy for select squamous cell carcinoma patients. Most recently, it's Pegmigatinib is shaping up as a treatment option for certain metastatic colon geocarcinomas. The point is, inside drug portfolio is more multi-purpose than it may seem somehow be present in your life. Right, again, Nvidia, yes, gaming is you know booming, especially with YouTube and Twitch and all that. But crypto mining is getting big as well, especially with the explosion of Bitcoin. And Square is a pretty good option because Cash App or Cash App Me is a cultural thing now. Right, like there's like literally pockets or like pockets around the interwebs of people just saying like cash at me cash at me i need help cash at me oh i need some money right Uh, you could even hear this from like influencers oh you could just cash at me to like other influencers like it's crazy right absolutely crazy and not to mention the amount of marketing that cash app actually does is insane so i could definitely see square actually improving as time goes on and I could definitely see insight actually increasing as well, just because them really heavily focusing on cancer or carcinomas. Where PayPal reported its strongest ever quarterly growth in payment volume in quarter four with $277 billion as the pandemic fueled online transactions. And, you know, probably a good part of this was them stepping into 
cryptocurrencies because crypto has boomed this year. Like boomed, it exploded, almost like a nuclear bomb, right? So let's get uh, into this story. So PayPal said it reported its strongest quarterly growth in total payment volume in its fourth quarter earnings with $277 billion, a 36% increase from quarter four, 2019. PayPal CFO John Rainey made the comment in a Wednesday earnings call after the company posted its quarter four results with revenue of $6.12 billion and earnings per share of $1.32. Both Rainey and CEO John Shulman stressed on the call and in its quarter four results that 2020 was PayPal's best year in its history, a milestone that coincided with unprecedented online shopping numbers as the pandemic kept people inside and out of brick-and-mortar stores, especially during the holidays. Shulman emphasized that a digital first world is now our reality, which, by the way, again, them getting into the cryptocurrency space is a very smart move. So consumers no longer want to handle cash, Shulman said on the call. He also touched on Venmo users cashing their stimulus checks in the app, which PayPal acquired in 2013. Now, you also got to understand something, too, right? Now, this is like a personal experience, right? Look, paying with things in cash is actually amazing, right? Because you don't overspend. The thing is, you have to be careful when you spend money with cash, especially say like gas stations, because gas stations could quite literally give you a counterfeit bill without you even knowing, right? Like, it's crazy, but it can happen. So that's why typically, sometimes paying with your card, specifically a debit card, is actually a lot better. Now, some people disagree. Some people say that you should always buy things with credit cards and all that kind of stuff, right? And the way I view that is that, yeah, you could buy things with credit cards. But if you're someone who has no self-control, you should not have a credit card on you, period, right? Like if you overspend and if you like never pay off your bill on time every single month, you need to cut up your credit card and never touch it ever again, right? Like you should never touch credit ever again if you can't handle a budget, right? So while PayPal reported a record-breaking quarterly growth rate in total payment volume, growth in other areas appears to have slowed slightly compared to earlier in 2020. PayPal reported 16 million net new active users in quarter four compared to 20.2 million in quarter one, 2020. In April 2020 alone, PayPal gained 7.4 million new active users, a new record for the digital payment company. The company saw its strongest quarter in PayPal's history in quarter two during the first few months of the pandemic, adding 21.3 million net new active users, which is pretty amazing when you really think about it. And that's pretty much it for this story, but, uh, oh wait, hold on, no. Oh, no, there's more. So PayPal said that the company ended 2020 with a total of 377 million active accounts and expects to add 50 million net new active accounts in 2021, which actually isn't that out of reach, right? Again, because they're basically into the whole crypto space as well, they just open up the floodgates for even 
more people to get involved. So the company also noted that it signed on a slew of new merchants in 2020, including Foot Locker, Levis, Macy's, Uniqlo, and others, which is uh, pretty cool. That being said, a lot of these brick-and-mortar uh, stores aren't really going to be doing too well probably in 2021. And yeah, okay, that's pretty much it for this one, which is uh, pretty interesting. So I can see PayPal and also Cash App, Square, right, doing very well in the future, right, because they are basically digital merchants, right? The way I view PayPal and the way I view Cash App or Square is basically like a Visa or an American Express, right? They're going to be basically around the same kind of like level where like you could pretty much go from one to the other and like you won't really notice too much of a difference. The only thing is Cash App has more of a cultural, a cultural basically uh, foundation, right? It's getting infected in the cultural space, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of influencers, a lot of people who just talk to their friends who say, cash at me, right? Whereas PayPal is more of, is more focused, I should say, in a more business foundation, right? Because you can see a lot of things that you buy online from companies and like large companies that they typically either accept credit card or PayPal, right? They don't necessarily focus on something like Square, Pay, uh, Cash App, or anything like that, right? So Cash App hasn't really broken that, like broken into that market the same way that PayPal has, which I think is pretty much because PayPal, the way PayPal is viewed as a pretty reliable and a very safe way to conduct business, right? At least that's like the perception of it. Right. Whereas, you know, Venmo, Cash App, that's Square, all that kind of stuff. Right. It's not really viewed the same way. It doesn't really have like that same sort of respect that PayPal necessarily has. Because you also got to think about it, too. Elon Musk was part of PayPal and a lot of people love Elon Musk as well. Right. And there's always going to be that connection between PayPal and Elon Musk and a lot more people like Elon Musk than they do Jack Dorsey. And everyone knows if you're using, you know, Square, Cash App, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, you're basically kind of like slightly getting involved with Jack Dorsey. So that's also another way to really think about it, too, because sometimes people don't want to do things on companies based off their founders right or the people that are involved with it so that's another thing to really think about as well i think as long as paypal keeps growing their customer base making it into more businesses as basically a merchant right i could see paypal doing very well i could see paypal beating cash app long term but if cash app ends up truly taking over the cultural landscape, I could see them basically just almost like, you know, a tsunami, kind of like a tsunami that affected Japan, basically just completely wiping PayPal to the side and just taking over the market share, right? I could see that happening. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they uh, go about it and how they handle this stuff because you got to really think about it. Like, there's a lot of ways 
to process payments. There's a lot of ways to transfer money, right? And you don't necessarily need any of these different processors to actually do anything like that, right? With the you know, creation of Robinhood, Webull, all that kind of stuff, Acorns. You know, there's so many different options out there for you to get involved with money, Coinbase for cryptocurrencies, right? Which, by the way, if you want to learn or get connected and get basically free money from various sources, feel free to get into the description and joining like Robinhood, uh, Acorns, all this sort of stuff, Coinbase, you get a small amount of free Bitcoin, all that kind of stuff. But still, it's very interesting to see all these different companies basically go head to head and pretty much the same spheres and it's amazing to see that there's so many people on this planet that there's enough business for both of these companies right it's pretty cool to see fun article for right now so beckham backed cannabis skincare firm to sell shares right now if you don't know what that is it's you know grass it is basically marijuana right is basically, you know, a thing that is slowly being legalized over the world, right? So, a company backed by David Beckham, which uses compounds found in cannabis to make skincare and athletic products, plans to sell shares on the London Stock Exchange, or the LSE. So, Seller Goods has sold a stake to DB Ventures, the footballer's investment firm Sky News reported. The company makes its products in labs rather than from plants, which is interesting. It is part of a growing market for products which use chemicals found in cannabis for skin regimens. The BBC has approached Mr. Beckham and DB Ventures for comment, and two of the main active chemicals found in cannabis plants are cannabidol, often used in skincare products, and THC. While THC is a controlled substance, cannabidol, cannabidol, deal is not right seller goods aims to sell products from september 2021 according to its website which makes it the first firm of its kind to debut on the lsc cannabis companies can list on the lsc so long as they are medicinal and the financial conduct authority fca watchdog decided this last year while, mechan- while many recreational drug companies have sprung up in the u.s where states including california have legalized it those companies can't raise money in London as it is legal in the UK. The last few years have seen massive growth and awareness of the importance of wellness and self-care, and we believe cannabinoids will prove, will prove to be the king of wellness ingredients, said Cellular Goods Chief Executive Alexis Abraham. The appetite for cannabinoid products is huge, and the biosynthetic cannabinoids will be exclusively using are cleaner, greener, purer, and frankly, the future. Now, I don't understand how this could necessarily be greener when you're technically creating this artificially, right? Now, that's a kind of interesting statement because, you know, is it really green? (laughs) I know it's a joke, but like, it's artificially made, right? So that's the thing you should always kind of be wary of as well. It's going to be interesting. Right, I think it's pretty cool that they could actually get involved into that because the U.S. has or already has companies that do offer these types of products, so it makes sense that the LSC or the London Stock Exchange would actually do that as well. But the thing is, you got to also understand that 
cannabis, right, and THC is illegal in a lot of parts of the world still, right? Now, there's a lot of states in the U.S. that are still viewing this as a very highly illegal drug. But in some parts of the world, right, you could actually, like, basically, you know, basically lose your life for this stuff, right? So it's a pretty crazy situation when you think of it on a global scale. Where grass stocks pop on news of Jazz GW merger, or as you know what grass might be, it's cannabis. So Jazz Pharmaceuticals agreed to acquire GW Pharmaceuticals for $7.2 billion. So Jazz Pharmaceuticals, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, what's interesting is that it's in the combination of cash and stock, which is a crazy amount of money. Like, this, like, influx of cash is going to be insane. Okay, so basically, the deal which combines the two biopharmaceutical companies signifies Jazz's bet on the long-term prospects of cannabis-based therapies. Jazz will pay $200 in cash and $20 in stock per GW share. The transaction is expected to close in the second quarter. Wow. Okay, so cannabis stocks jumped on the news with shares in Cassava Sciences, Sundial Growers, and Tilray closing up 59%, 60%, and 12% respectively on Wednesday. That is pretty crazy, right? That's the interesting thing about uh, marijuana stocks, right? Like, I remember a story, I think, back when I was like 17 where I think it was kind of like around that time where marijuana stocks started to basically get onto, uh, started to become big, right? It started to get uh, headway. And what was interesting, I believe it might have been a professor or it might have been someone that made, I think, almost a billion dollars betting on a single marijuana stock, which was crazy because back then, all these like marijuana stocks were like basically penny stocks. I think almost every single one of them was penny stocks back in the day. So it's pretty crazy when you really think about it. So cannabis investors are also optimistic after three Democratic senators released a statement supporting the decriminalization of marijuana. GW's drug Epidiolics is used to treat rare forms of epilepsy and had global sales of 510 million dollars within two years of his 2018 launch which is insane the deal was strengthened jazz's neuroscience portfolio said jazz ceo and chairman bruce kazad we have a shared vision of developing and commercializing in innovative medicines that address significant unmet needs in neuroscience and an approach of putting patients first gw ceo justin gover said together we will have an opportunity opportunity to reach and impact more patients through a broader portfolio of neuroscience-focused therapies than ever before, which is pretty crazy. By the way, if you hear like some whining in the background, that is a husky being a baby. So basically, it is a husky being a husky. <laughs> like Huskies are some interesting uh, dogs with personalities that make you kind of want to... Uh, Take a cyanide pill, pretty much, right? I mean, like you love huskies. They look amazing. They're beautiful dogs. But their personalities are like a cat with a voice. 
<laughs> it's, it's so bad. Apple and Hyundai Kia pushing toward deal on the Apple car, which is very, very interesting, right? So after years of speculation that it will eventually get into the auto business with its own vehicle, Apple is close to finalizing a deal with Hyundai Kia to manufacture an Apple-branded autonomous electric vehicle at the Kia assembly plant in West Point, Georgia, according to multiple sources who briefed CNBC on the plan. The so-called Apple car, which is being developed by a team at Apple, is tentatively scheduled to go into production in 2024, though people familiar with the talks between Apple and Hyundai Kia say the eventual rollout could be pushed back. Sources tell CNBC no agreement has yet been reached between the two companies. In addition, they stress that Apple may ultimately decide to partner with another automaker separately or in addition to working with Hyundai. One source familiar with Apple's strategy on developing a car tells CNBC, I doubt Hyundai is the only automaker they could strike a deal with. There could be somebody else. Apple shares rose more than 2% after hours on the news. Spokespersons for both Apple and Hyundai Kia declined to comment when reached by CNBC. Now, the thing is, the way that I view as like an automaker with a Apple kind of like combination, you got to think of it as like one, Apple is like a cultural company. And also, pretty much if you're under the age of 40, if you don't have an iPhone, people kind of view view you as poor, right? It's like a really, really weird stigma. But for some reason, people think that you're poor if you don't have an iPhone. Like, it's crazy, right? <laughs> it's absolutely crazy, but people actually think this, right? Especially on, like, first impressions. Like, you pull out your phone, people are like, do you got a job? <laughs> it's crazy right like seeing people like this but i mean so the way you got to look at it right you got to view it that the person the automaker that they got to like go hand in hand with has to kind of like create that sort of appeal where they would actually you know view it as like oh you know i'd want that because it's like a status symbol right and interesting enough, I think the best option would be for them to actually strike a deal with Tesla, right? Because that is like the ideal matchup when it comes to the impression that people have of the car and of the brand, right? This is going to be interesting. So if an agreement is finalized, why would Apple choose Hyundai Kia? Just as importantly, why would the Korean automaker strike a deal with Apple? Those familiar with the discussions say each company sees a unique benefit in working with the other to develop an Apple car. For Apple, the decision to build a car opens the potential to tap a global auto and mobility market valued at $10 trillion. Morgan Stanley analyst Katie Huberty explained the profit potential for Apple in a research note she issued in January. Smartphones are a $500 billion annual TAM, and Apple has about one-third of this market. The mobility market is $10 trillion, so Apple would only need a 2% share of this market to be the size of their iPhone business, Huberty wrote. 
Sources familiar with Apple's interest in working with Hyundai say the tech giant wants to build the Apple Car in North America with an established automaker willing to allow Apple to control the software and hardware that will go into the vehicle. In other words, this will be an Apple Car, not a Kia model featuring Apple software. For Hyundai, Kia, working with Apple is being driven by the company's new chairman, Yusin Chung, who took control of the Korean automaker last October. According to one source familiar with Hyundai Kia strategy, Chung has made it clear mobility is the future of the company. That's important because the Apple car will be fully autonomous. By working with Apple, leaders of the Hyundai Kia believe they will accelerate development of their own autonomous and electric and vehicle plans. Hyundai is currently partnered with Aptiv and a joint venture developing autonomous vehicle technology, including robo-taxis. There is no indication that joint venture would change if the Hyundai reaches an agreement with Apple. In addition, the Kia plant about 90 minutes southwest of Atlanta, Georgia, has available capacity, so scaling production and tapping the Hyundai-Kia supply chain can be done relatively quickly. Very interesting. Now, while it's still unclear exactly what the first Apple car will look like, those familiar with the plan say there are a couple of notable features. The first Apple cars will not be designed to have a driver, said one source with the knowledge of the current plan. These will be autonomous electric vehicles designed to operate without a driver and focused on the last mile. That could mean Apple cars, at least initially, could focus on packaged food delivery operations and firms incorporating robo-taxis, which is very, very interesting because they might end up basically getting involved with like Uber and Lyft as well in that whole fiasco. So the move could bring the tech giant into direct competition with Tesla, which is rolling out self-driving features for its vehicles. Tesla CEO Elon Musk recently told investors that turning Teslas into self-driving robo-taxis could help justify the company's valuation, as the cars would be in use for more hours per day, allowing Tesla to earn higher revenues per car. In 2018, Apple lured Doug Field, then Tesla's senior VP of engineering, back to Apple where he had previously worked, presumably to work on self-driving cars. Apple has also hired myriad other former Tesla employees, including Michael Schwartz, I don't even know how to pronounce that name, now senior director of engineering for the special projects group at Apple and formerly Tesla vice president of engineering. Musk also said that he once attempted to start talks with Apple about acquiring his electric car company, but Apple CEO Tim Cook rejected his invitation to meet, which is pretty funny when you really think about it. But again, honestly, I see the best matchup for Apple would be Tesla. Like, I could see a Apple-Tesla car, the combination of the two. Right? Because basically the way I see it is that if Apple basically worked on the hardware for the tablet within Tesla's, but kept pretty much everything simple but still had Apple Pay on Tesla, like like they put Apple Pay onto Tesla's, and they just improved the uh, durability and basically the overall quality of Tesla. Because, again... There's a lot of, you know, stories and articles and videos of Tesla's basically just, you know, breaking apart or things just flying off of them, right? But if Apple basically improved the quality of Tesla's, you could start seeing Tesla's start to sell for very high premiums that would justify 
the actual stock price of Tesla, right? So it would be very interesting to see. If they were to join forces, which I think would be really cool, it'd be very interesting to see how much demand there would be for that car. Because if they join forces, the two cultures of Tesla drivers and Apple iPhone users would just, you know, mix together so well and it would just basically explode, right? Because it almost here's the thing, right? Tesla cars are very culturally driven, right? Like Tesla hasn't really done too much marketing, right? Compared to other car companies because people love the brand so much, people love the car so much, right? Then you have Apple, where when you really think about it, they don't really change their phones every year, but people still buy the brand new over a thousand dollar iPhone every year because of the brand, right? Just because of the brand and the culture around iPhones, around Apple. So if you combine these two different cultures together and you basically make a product that people are going to be like, you know what? I really need that car, right? It's almost like keeping up with the Joneses and people are going to be willing to get into probably a lot of debt for that type of car, which, you know, is not a smart financial move at all. But you got to think about it. People are willing to go into debt for Tesla's on by themselves, right? People are willing to get into debt for iPhones. And if you end up combining the two and you make a premium Tesla, basically, right? It'd be very interesting to see. Right, it'd be very interesting to see that type of vehicle, where it have a little bit more style than a typical Tesla, but it would have the culture and the following of Tesla. So, oh, it'd be so crazy to see that type of Apple car, Apple Tesla car. I think that'd be really, really cool to see. Overstepping its bounds again. Right, So Kroger closes two Southern California stores rather than give extra $4 hero pay. So retailer Kroger announced on Monday that it would permanently close two of its Southern California stores due to what it says is a direct result of a city mandate that requires an extra $4 an hour of hero pay for essential workers. A spokesperson for the grocery company told Fox Business on Tuesday that Long Beach's city council's misguided action in passing an ordinance mandating extra pay had overstepped the traditional bargaining process and only applies to some, but not all, grocery workers in the city. The irreparable harm that will come to employees and local citizens is a direct result of the city of Long Beach's attempt to pick winners and losers is deeply unfortunate, they said. We are truly saddened that our associates and customers will ultimately be the real victims of the city council's actions. The Ralph store at 3380N Las Coyotes, Diagonal and Food for Less store located at 2185 East South Street are both set to shut down on April 17th, 2021. The Long Beach City Council, backed by Democratic Mayor Robert Garcia, gave approval to the Hero Pay law in January. The ordinance applies to companies with 300 or more workers nationally 
and more than 15 employees in each story, but it's really store, and will remain in place for at least 120 days, according to Long Beach Post News. And the thing that people don't understand is that's actually really not a big grocery store, right? That's like having two locations nationally, basically. <laughs> it's pretty crazy when you really think about it. Garcia's office pointed Fox Business to his Twitter account, but noted they would be in litigation over the matter. Garcia wrote on Monday that the grocers are making record profits and that they would go to court in February to defend the workers vigorously. Now I have to ask, politicians are making record incomes. Will they also have to give away some of their money as well? So replying to the, his tweet, Garcia screenshotted a report from the Brookings Institution, a Washington, D.C. public policy nonprofit that noted Kroger had ended its initial $2 hero pay in May, despite doubling its profits and spending nearly a billion dollars in 2020 to buy back its own stock shares. When large corporations make record profits and double their earnings, they need to share the, that success with those providing the labor, period. The mayor tweeted on Tuesday, later commending the Los Angeles City Council for supporting $5 hero pay for both grocery and drugstore workers. The, 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 the devastating economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has ravaged key industries over the past few months, forcing airlines to cancel flights, hotels to stop taking reservations, and restaurants to move business outdoors. Millions of Americans lost their jobs, some indefinitely, or were furloughed, with unemployment numbers having surged to 14.7% in April. Kroger's spokesperson told Fox Business that the company is proud of its dedicated employees serving customers on the front lines. Since March, they said that their companies had invested $1.3 billion in order to properly implement dozens of safety measures and reward associates. We began implementing these safety measures early in the pandemic, and since then, we have only strengthened our vigilance and resolve, they said. We also continue to support our associates through benefits like paid emergency leave and our organization's $15 million Helping Hands Fund that provides financial support to associates experiencing certain hardships due to COVID-19, the spokesperson said. This extra pay is in addition to the total compensation package Ralph's and Food for Less has long offered to our associates, which includes competitive wages, strong health care coverage, and reliable pension benefit. Despite these challenging circumstances as Southern California's grocer, we remain committed to serving our communities and we are thankful for our dedicated associates who serve our customers every day, they said. Kroger was not the only company against the Long Beach City Council's actions. The Golden State's Grocers Association filed a lawsuit that claims, like Kroger, that the decision interferes with the collective bargaining process between grocery stores and workers' unions and that it would be detrimental for both grocers and consumers in the long run. There's no way grocers can absorb that big of a cost increase without an offset somewhere else considering grocers operate with razor than margins and many stores already operate in the red, the association's CEO, Ron Fong, said in a Tuesday statement to SFGate. 
So Kroger's spokesperson also pointed Fox Business to a recent op-ed from the Los Angeles Times editorial board that hit local politicians for excluding certain frontline employees, some essential big-box stores, and even their own staff from their hazard pay proposals, and said there had been no meaningful attempt to consider the impacts of requiring employers to boost pay by as much as 30%. The solution to help frontline workers, they argued, would be to require and enforce safer workplace conditions. Which, again, the main problem that I see with this is that they are implementing rules and laws, basically mandates, right? Not really laws, but mandates that have no basis. Like, there's no basis for an immediate increase of pay out of nowhere, right? Now, you could definitely offer, like a company, which, you know, some hospitals offer hazard pay, which will increase the amount of money that people would make if they volunteer to either work in specific categories of the hospital, right? So if there's more chances of, you know, contracting COVID, they most likely get hazard pay and basically get almost like a, almost like an overtime pay for that, Right? So you should offer this something like an incentive, but you should not mandate that companies have to do this out of nowhere, right? And again, look at this, right? For at least 120 days. What is this number based on? What's to say that, you know, it could be 365 days, right? What about 10 days? What about 4 days? What about 50 days, right? What about 1,000 days? Like, Where is this number from, right? Like, where is this based off of? Because I don't understand that. It's like the same thing with, you know, closing outdoor dining. What is it based off of? And that's the problem that I see with a lot of these mandates that California keeps imposing on its people. And what I really don't understand, doesn't the politicians in California kind of like realize The more that they pull stuff like this, the more that they are literally slapping people in the face to get them out of the state, right? Like there's like Las Vegas is getting overrun by Californians. Texas is getting overrun by Californians. Tennessee is getting overrun by Californians. Florida is getting overrun by Californians. Like there is a mass exodus from California, and they continue to pass mandates or to try to force mandates like this out of nowhere, which is just going to force more people out of California. Like These politicians are purposely basically trying to destroy California, which is crazy to me. It's crazy to see this actually happen in real time, and it just keeps on happening, and I don't understand it like at all.